Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Global Football Show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, joined with my regular fantastic co-host, the excellent Zach Lowy. Apologies to our listeners, this has been somewhat inconsistent the days we get this podcast out. That's primarily my fault. Um, but we will get back to doing this every Monday and we will be doing this live. So stick with us, we appreciate that. First of all, Zachy, how you doing, mate? I'm doing very well, Phil. Great to be back on uh, co-hosting the Global Football Show got a ton to discuss uh today so very excited yes we do my friend i want to talk to you about barcelona because as we were getting ready to hit record i was reading a lot about what was going on i know you were covering it on your your website uh btl and i was going through some of the allegations on this and they're truly staggering um i'm gonna talk to you a little bit about antonio conte of course because antonio conte had a wonderful repost to uh, to Richardson this morning, which I found quite amusing. Um, I will talk a little bit about the PSG experiment and whether that's coming to an end. Uh, of course, we've got the result against Bayern Munich, which was not great. The Ashraf Hakimi situation and even the Nasser Khalifa situation, which is truly bizarre. Um, Zach, let's start with Barcelona because it's a, it is quite interesting because this is actually a criminal case that's being brought against them rather than a sporting one. There's very similar aspects of this to what happened with Calciopoli and Juventus, uh, of course, influencing referees, bribing referees, being relegated. But La Liga have said that there's no potential for sporting punishment because this exceeds your statute of limitations. This happened beyond five years ago. Uh, This happened five years ago. They can only go back three years. UEFA still have jurisdiction there. They could still do something but most of this is being pursued by the Spanish government. Uh, I'll just give a quick summary. So they're being charged with corruption over payments made to Vice President of Spanish Football Refereeing Committee. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, the, the, the case is being brought by Spanish Prosecutor's Office. Bartomeu and Rossell are facing charges. Barca are explaining that they had an external consultant who provided Reports related to professional refereeing, this is how they're explaining it. The payments were made to a company called Dasnel95, a company owned by Negrera, um, between 2001-2018. What's really interesting is, in a deposition to Spanish tax authorities, Negrera, the individual that owns this company, said the payments were for to make sure that no refereeing decisions were given against Barcelona, that's pretty dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the biggest stories in world football at the moment. And uh, it's a story that I think is only going to grow. It's a story that is already so complex and so thorough that I haven't uh, fully gotten to the bottom of it. In fact, for my um, my other podcast on Bet Central, Zach Lowy's European football show that I recently started, I will be having two La Liga experts in Colin Miller and uh, Ewan McTeer to discuss this as well as the rest of La Liga action. So definitely check that out. But yeah, with regards to this scandal, I think that it's something that it, it really just uh, sends shivers through your spine when you look at the language that's being used, when you look at um, you know all of the stuff that's happened because it, it felt like we were talking about this just a few months ago with, with regards to Barcelona. Not this particular scandal, but uh, their economic difficulties and just all of you know the, the damning reports and thinking, man, how low can this club sink? And 
now we get to the point where this is this really blows out uh, anything that we've seen about Barcelona. It blows it out of the water because we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, a Spanish Spanish prosecutor has filed the charges that Barcelona have have been actively corrupt in sport, which is yeah, it's something that that goes that strikes a chord. Uh, through the vein of, of what we what we think is justice and fairness in sport, so yeah, it, it seems that uh, from from the prosecutor's report, it seems that Barcelona um, paid over seven point three million euros to the company of Jose Maria Enriquez Negrera, uh, who was a former referee and who was the ex vice president. Of uh, of the refereeing committee of Spanish football between 1994 and 2018, and uh, it is it is it is alleged that these payments took place between 2001 and 2018, which is of course when Negreira uh, left his position. Negreira was uh, allegedly paid for uh, providing the club with. With, uh, with advice on referees. That's at least the club's position. They're essentially stating that uh, it, it was more as a uh, an advisor. The company, Dasnil95, this this company that kind of looks like it was just set up as, as, a, as a way to uh, circumvent taxes, which, of course, we know in Spanish football, uh, taxes, there are plenty of players and, and, and teams that have, that have come uh, under fire with this from the tax authorities, but uh, it, it, this actually this investigation actually began uh, after Spanish Span, Spain's tax authorities uh, identified irregularities with regards to uh, the tax payments that were carried out by Dasnil95, this company that was created by Negreira. So it seems that Barcelona were paying. Uh, an extreme amount of money towards to Negreira's company uh, for in exchange for favorable actions, whether that's uh, decision making in games, positive decisions that benefit Barcelona, as well as uh, the hiring of referees. You know, referees who perhaps were favorable towards Barcelona. And yeah, when you when you look at um, the Calciopoli scandal. There's a fantastic documentary on Calciopoli on, on Netflix called Bad Sport. Uh, I forgot what it was. Bad Sport is the Netflix series. Yeah, I it's good. Brilliant show. It. It's really good, actually. I definitely <laughs> recommend uh, anybody who's listening to check it out. Um, and and I saw that a few months ago. And so reading this, uh, reading the reports and, and hearing that, you know, I definitely notice a lot of similarities uh, between this. And I, I think that... It's clear that this is a damaging scandal, um, but it, yeah, it remains to be seen what happens with regards to the punishment. There's obviously a lot of speculation. Uh, Marca recently reporting today that Barcelona could be excluded from European competition altogether due to uh, damage to the competition's reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I took a look actually at the uh, UEFA statute that that Marco were referencing in the article, and uh, it, it goes to the uh, basically talking about clubs that uh, that that enter European competition must not have 
directly and or indirectly uh, been involved uh, in any activity aimed at arranging or influencing the outcome of a match at, at national or international level. Uh, so, you know, you, you read that report, that's directly from the language of the UEFA statute. It seems very much that if these allegations are proven correct, uh, then they could seriously uh, face an, an immediate, uh, you know, a danger of being excluded. So right now, it seems that Barcelona, there is no immediate danger because uh, the, the, the governing bodies of the Spanish, European and world football have five, uh, five year statute of limitations. That's what uh, the La Liga president Javier Tebas stated. However, um, UEFA and La Liga, they are two separate bodies, of yes. course. And if UEFA believes that Barcelona's, uh, you know, scandal, even even if it's going to take until, you know, 2024 or whatever for for uh, the courts to reach a verdict, Barca- the, the, the footballing authorities in uh, in Neon can decide that, you know, this this scandal has cast such a shadow uh has 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 drawn so much scrutiny to the club that having barcelona compete in uh the champions league which is all but certain that they are going to qualify for the champions league not the europe league or the europa conference league they could decide that uh that that having them participate would be kind of a slap in the face to their regulations it would uh, draw reputational damage, and yeah, it would tarnish their image. So they could take a decision without waiting for uh, for for the Spanish courts to reach a verdict, and they could exclude them. So I fully expect this one to continue to grow, continue to uh, build steam, and yeah, it, it's something that um, if the allegations are proven correct then 100% Barcelona need to face some serious consequences. Well, let's even look at the sporting consequences before we look at the legal consequences. <clears throat> let's say Barcelona were excluded from the Champions League or something like that. The very fact that they didn't qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League has already had a major impact on them financially and what they can do this summer. This is a football club hanging by a financial thread. If they got banned from Europe for, say, a couple of years or whatever, a year or two, what would be the ramifications for Barcelona as a football club? And how would they survive that financially? Because this is not, they're not in a situation where they could easily write that out. I mean, we're talking about major, major consequences here uh, for Barcelona that extend beyond the punishment. I mean, the, the, the financial ramifications here could be enormous. Yeah, 100%. I think that um, neutrals will naturally feel skeptical because just a few months ago, um, you know, it seemed like Barcelona were up against a wall financially, and yet they go out, they go out and spend, you know, 60 million on Ferran Torres. Uh, a few months later, they go out and sign Robert Lewandowski, Jules Kounde. Frank Kessier, Andreas Christensen, all these quality players. And, you know, you just think they're they're Teflon, right? They can mm. skate away from everything. They can just pull out a lever and boom, yeah, it's that. 
But I do think that European football, the, the, the revenue, of course, as well as, you know, as well as the attraction that it brings. Obviously, Barcelona are one of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, I think that most players would want to play at the Camp Nou. But European football or lack of European football is, is definitely a, a deciding factor for a lot of players. So that's going to have massive repercussions on them. Not just their 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 uh, ability to to offer money for these players, but to attract the players as well and get them uh, to sign on the dotted line. And um, and there's also another interesting report that uh, that we haven't mentioned, but it, it I think it bears uh, it bears it bears mentioning, and that's with regards to Gavi. So in addition mm-hmm. to Barcelona's massive transfer uh, splurge last summer. There were also quite a few um, contract renewals, and uh, one of them was Gavi, the golden boy, the a player who has uh, had a meteoric rise in, in Barcelona and has become uh, a, a vital player for them. But yeah, in the end of January, Barcelona won a court ruling uh, to register them as a first-team player, they were previously unable to do so uh, after uh, reaching the limit of financial fair play. Javier Tebas, the La Liga president, has stated that he wants to uh, appeal this verdict and, and yeah, following through. And so it seems like this is going to go to court. So if Barcelona uh, are unsuccessful in defending this appeal, if, if Tebas and his side win out this case, then uh, Gavi could be forced to leave Barcelona as a free agent. And that's something that, while it doesn't relate um, to the Negreira oh, that's game, incredible. it is something, it is just another scandal that is kind of, uh, that, that has really tarnished Barcelona. And I think that, you know, obviously a lot of, a lot of people have been waiting on Barcelona's downfill, da- downfall. You know, they've been, kind of envious and jealous of their success. They want something to happen to them. Um, but I think that it, it has to be said that these allegations are truly shocking. It just seems like controversy is following the club everywhere. And, yes. of Sorry, course, man. just one thing. And, of course, you know, whenever you're, you're dealing with kind of stuff, you're going to get Barcelona fans who uh, essentially put their heads in the sand, who say, no, whatever you say, you're just trying to tarnish – the club. So I think that there has to be a fine balance, okay? There is an ongoing investigation right now. The Spanish prosecutor has charged the club with corruption. Uh, these are not just some baseless rumors, okay? This is something that is incredibly serious and that Barcelona are going to have to deal with. I do feel sorry for the Barcelona fans in some way because none of this is their fault. Um, but I want to ask you about Tebas because <clears throat> um, he's been quite... He's been quite strict on FFP um, and quite critical of Barcelona. In fact, he also said that they would not be allowed to spend the summer. And I get the feeling that other leagues <clears throat> may not be as strict with their oversight on FFP and may not even have that desire. I would imagine a successful Barcelona is very, very important to the commercial value of La Liga, to their television rights. <clears throat> um, it's important for other football clubs, um, and how much that television, uh, how much their television rights is worth. I would imagine 
and just take a worst case scenario relegated Barcelona would be devastating not just to Barcelona but to the value of television deals La Liga in, as, in general and of course what other clubs would receive as a result of that so it's definitely in their interest to have a strong and healthy Barcelona you know El Clasico is probably the biggest football game in the world or certainly one of them uh, one of the most watched football games in the world it's very very important to the attraction of Spanish football and yet he has quite rightly pointed the finger at Manchester City and PSG for their flagrant FFP alleged flagrant FFP violations um, domestically and otherwise and, it, and rightfully expects firm punishment for those but when you look at some of the weak punishment that's been applied in the past, um, watered down punishments, fines, what have you, um, why is Tebas being so aggressive on this? It's a really interesting one with, with Tebas and Barcelona. Um, I think that, you know, he's he's somebody who has kind of taken extremes with pro and, and anti-Barcelona on, on several levels. You know, it's clear that he wants Barcelona to get their financial affairs in order and that comes with discipline. Disciplining the club, forcing them to suffer repercussions. It's clear that he tried to, you know, draw a fine line with that. With that being said, I think he recognizes that um, Barcelona are obviously a massive boon to them financially and that you know, them having a, a decline would spell bad news for the club because it would essentially mean it's it spell bad news for the league because it would essentially mean that Real Madrid have the potential to monopolize La Liga and essentially convert it into another Bundesliga with Bayern winning it or Ligue 1 with Paris Saint-Germain winning it every year. So I think he recognizes the, the, the potential that for, for that to happen. And uh, that would certainly drag La Liga down in terms of their attraction. But, yeah, I, I think that Tebas, he's – I don't think he's necessarily clean either. I know that there was mm-hmm. a recent report that stated that um, he he attempted to bribe someone in the Spanish Federation to push out the current president uh, of the Spanish Federation, Luis Rubiales, and uh, put one of his own men – uh, Albert Soler as the president of the Spanish Federation. And Soler, uh, interestingly, served quite a few years on Josep Maria Bartomeu's board mm. as FC Barcelona president. So, you know, I, I think that Davos, he's... He's been accused of being a Real Madrid fan, hasn't he, too, Zach? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I, I believe so. And I think that also, I mean, you you have to... You have to also taking into account there's just so much happening uh with spanish football so much on on so many different levels we haven't even mentioned uh the cbc right with with regards to you know the um kind of selling off a percentage of of la liga's revenue uh to cbc for a short-term gain but yeah it seems like la liga there there are also um reports from that same outlet that i just mentioned el espanol that La Liga, they're they're facing potential um, severe economic uh, consequences because two of their main sponsors, Dazin and CBC, are trying to break their contracts with Javier Tebas. So Tebas has a lot going on right now, of course, 
But uh, yeah, it, it seems like right now Barcelona are 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 really um, paddling up Shit's Creek, if you want to use that expression. But uh, of course, last winter they were uh, looking at signing several players. They didn't. They didn't sign anybody. Of course, they let go of Memphis Depay. Um, but yeah, from what Tebas has stated, basically saying that the reason Barcelona didn't sign anybody in January because of was because of La Liga, um, you know, being that financial watchdog, not letting them. And he's 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 continuing to uh, state that Barcelona are not going to be able to sign players this coming summer. So of course, Barcelona fans are going to feel like Tebas is out to get them. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that. It's it's clear that both La Liga and Barcelona are facing some uh, some severe economic troubles, and will be interesting to see how they they get themselves out. Because as much as they may hate each other, La Liga and Barcelona, Barcelona and Javier Tebas, they are two they are kind of mutually dependent. On yeah, they need each other. Barcelona need La Liga, and La Liga need Barcelona. So they've just got to work something out. But then this brings me to my other question. I've got two more questions on this and we'll move on. And, and that is, what's the incentive for UEFA to thoroughly punish Barcelona? Because in some sense, they're in the same situation. They need Barcelona for the revenue in the Champions League for television rights, um, especially at a time when they're under pressure from European Super Leagues. Um, I mean, you had a ruling here last week that... Uh, kind of flew under the radar, but it's actually quite, uh, quite huge, and it's an antitrust ruling that relevant sports won against the MLS about uh, or, or US soccer uh, about where they can host games and whether they can play them outside of the country. Um, a lot of these governing bodies are losing their uh, their ability to govern because people are now starting to challenge. Uh, antitrust laws, people are now starting to challenge their monopoly. UEFA is under pressure at the moment to provide more revenue, uh, more exciting games. I mean, one of the things that I heard quite a bit when United played Barcelona was wouldn't it be great if it was like this all the time where we had these games on a regular basis where, you know, New Camp was full, Old Trafford was full, you know, it was great entertainment, it was and you could just see where people were looking at that going, hmm, you know, do we really want to be playing, you know, not? Or do we want to be playing these types of games on a regular basis? Because do, are you way for really incentivized to show teeth in this? I think so. I think that if you're any, um, any, any uh, organization with disciplinary authority, you cannot give the image that you are weak, that you're going to let uh malfeasance you know run without without any discipline and uh it's clear that that uefa have been accused of being weak in the past specifically with financial fair play and i think in terms of double standards right you have one standard for a team like everton another standard for a team like paris Saint Germain, you know so i think that there's definitely the incentive for uefa to clean up their act you know, it's it's. I think that maybe they haven't gotten as much uh, scrutiny as as FIFA, but I think it's clear that there's a lot of you know accusations that UEFA are perhaps not as clean. That they're going to allow 
the super clubs to run their thing. And I think that as well, uh, you, you, you have to have in the back of your mind, the, the European super league, you know, I'm, I think that, that it's still, there's still the possibility that that's going to happen in the future, even if it was, uh, even if it was shot down immediately in 2021. So I think that, that, that is perhaps in the back of their minds, UEFA, knowing that, um, kind of having to deal with it from, from two angles, you know, if we punish Barcelona too much, as well as other clubs such as Juventus, another mm-hmm. member, another, you know, remaining member of the U- European Super League, then they're thinking that if we punish them too much, maybe they're going to decide, you know what, let's let's try to give this U- European Super League another shot. Let's let's revamp it, basically try to break away from UEFA. On the other hand, they're also thinking that if we allow Barcelona and these other clubs to get away scot-free, then maybe there's the there, there's going to be clubs who realize that they can get away with it, and there's going to be that general image that essentially, yeah, uh, you know, Barcelona like are holding a gun to UEFA's hand, UEFA's head, and saying that if if you you know if you get, go. Um, try to discipline us we're gonna we're gonna leave you uh we're gonna leave you guys and start a breakaway competition right yeah. so i think that uefa they need to find a healthy balance um i do think that that's that's something that's going to be in the back of your their head though as as i mentioned um the the reports that uefa could exclude barcelona from european competition i don't think that's going to happen and i think that one reason why is because it would certainly uh create a a uh, a massive decline for Barcelona, you know, probably induce a fire sale of several key players, mm-hmm. eventually forcing Gavi to leave as well as other players. Um, and I think that Barcelona, you know, I think that it would also potentially incentivize them to to try to start the European Super League again because they would be yeah. in need of uh, short term cash, right? But I think that you know, to to another degree. Um, you know, Barcelona and UEFA are also sort of mutually dependent on one another. Yes, exactly. Now, UEFA's growth is, is, you know, it also coincides with Barcelona's growth. So I, I think that it's it's a difficult position for a lot of these uh, a lot of these people to be in. But yeah, it's clear that Barcelona, there's definitely some uh, there, there's there's definitely some reports that that they have broken the law. That they have really tampered with uh, all things, you know, fair and just in in the sporting world. And 100%, I think that if these allegations are proven correct, then yeah, this has to be considered the biggest uh, the biggest sporting scandal of of this decade so far. Well, just the last point on this before we move on, um, because allegedly these charges go back to 2001. So I would implicate Laporta, Rossell, Bartomeu. Russell, of course, um, we all know about uh, his past, of course, with Nike and other allegations, other charges against him. So clearly it was a a culture of corruption there. But then that brings me to my other question, because people like Valverde, who were at the club at the time, uh, people like uh, Guardiola, the the athletic reported sources close to Guardiola denied any knowledge of this happening. Valverde allegedly said the same. Is that realistic to believe that the managers weren't aware 
let's take the charges at face value and say that if they're true, would it be reasonable to assume that the managers didn't know this was happening? I think that, I mean, I, I think that there's a chance, there's always a chance that they knew uh, it was happening. But with that being said, I, I don't think that we can rush to conclusions. Yeah, I know. You, yeah, I don't it's think just, that. Yeah, it's speculation. For me, from what I've read of this scandal, I think that uh, it seems like it was more something involved with the higher-ups. You know, and, and I, I do think that um, you know, it, it's rare that you'd have a, a manager of a club, especially a club like Barcelona, where managers don't always last that long. Um, you know, I, I would, I would, I think that would be fairly rare and somewhat bizarre for them to have uh, knowledge of these uh, illicit payments going through. And really, I mean, whatever, however you look at this. You know, it, it's just hard to find a defense for Barcelona. I think it's it's clear, it's pretty much a fact that Barcelona did pay 7.3 million euros uh, to this company that was created by Negreira, and it seems for the sole purpose of receiving receiving payments to uh, to evade taxes. And I think that, you know, that, that is the, at the genesis of it. As I mentioned, the tax authorities are the one that, that alerted uh, them to this possibility and, and really uh, kick-started the investigation. But uh, it seems that Barcelona's defense is that this, this company was just used as, like, advisors for, for referees, whatever the hell that means. Uh, the, the, the prosecuting team is stating that Barcelona... This was kind of a quid pro quo. You know, we're going to pay you guys 7.3 million euros over the course of 17 years for, for um, you know, for favorable refereeing decisions in the midst of games, as well as uh, hiring referees that, that would be favorable to Barcelona. And I think that, frankly, I think that, um, that right now, uh, Barcelona have to, they, they are the ones that have to make the convincing case that, no, this was completely clean. I think that the prosecutors have, have to have the benefit of the doubt because you just look at the details of the story, does not paint Barcelona in, a, uh, in an attractive light. So, yeah, I think that this is, it's a massive story and I expect it to continue to gain the theme over the coming months. Yeah, that deposition was quite damning <clears throat> from Aguera. Let's uh, shift the conversation to PSG. We've covered them before in the podcast, but they must be covered again. Um, it seems like the wind has been taken out of their seals, the PSG project. Um, lots of controversy surrounding the football club with Nasser Al-Khalifa, of course, who he himself, as course, was re-elected to the UEFA Executive Committee um, as, as the head of the ECA, um, European Club Association. So perhaps he's not the most uh, greatest example of uh, calibrated moral accomplishment at UEFA, but nonetheless, um, we'll t- talk about the football first. Um, the Messi project didn't work. The Neymar project didn't work. Mbappe has been given the keys to the city to stay. And he must be asking himself, you know, are, P- are, 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 are the owners committed 
because there's talks of they have to reduce the wage bill this summer, there's not going to be major spending. Um, and whether the same commitment is there, do they still believe that they can achieve their objectives at PSG by winning European Cups? Because um, you might disagree with me on this, but they were close a couple of years ago, maybe a year or two ago, winning this, but it didn't look close to me this season. And they've had a poor domestic season as well. Um, you know, I remember Kimpembe, you know, having to go talk to the fans and trying to, you know, uh, stem their anger. Um, this is not how this was supposed to go at this stage of their ownership. Um, do you think it's time for Mbappe and Messi to to leave? Oof, that's a tricky one. Um, I think that it's time for Lionel Messi to leave because right now I think that. Um, this 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 experiment at Paris Saint Germain it, it hasn't gone well for him. I'm not sure where he'd go if he'd go to MLS at this point. Would he go to another European club? But I think that it's probably time for him for for both of them to you know part ways with one another. But yeah, I think you know you you look at the the whole Paris Saint Germain experiment. You know the first few years of the club. I think doing okay in the European front, kind of gradually building, becoming a, a Ligue 1 uh, dynasty, right? And then we get to 2017. And it seemed, you know, they, they beat Barcelona for nothing. It seems like Paris uh, Saint-Germain fans, you know, they're having a revelation. Oh, this is where our, our European... Uh, dominance finally starts. You know, we have finally mm-hmm. beaten a a top class European opposition. This is we we are going to take that leap now. And of course, what happens next? They end up losing six one to uh, to Barcelona, get knocked out in the round of sixteen, um, and and they decide that they're going to break the records, break break transfer records, and sign two of the best players in world football in Neymar and Kylian Mbappe. Um, and from that point on, I think that for sure, the Paris Saint-Germain, the, the fabric of the club, as well as their intentions, it, it definitely changed. They became far more of a superstar club. You know, you look at um, their, their teams before, they had, some fan, they had some phenomenal players like Thiago Mota, Javier Pastore, uh, Edinson Cavani, but they didn't have the the cream of the crop, right? The very best of the best. And from that point on in 2017, that's when it starts to change. So yeah, 2017-18, um, they lose to Real Madrid in the round of 16. And 2018-19, uh, they, they go out uh, early again, um, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that they were knocked out by... Um, Maybe it was was it Real Madrid again? I'm I'm trying to think, but but as you mentioned, Phil, um, you know that I think that the the standards definitely changed from that point when they signed Neymar and and Mbappe and um, well yeah with regards to 2018-19 obviously it was Manchester United. Uh, oh my God! How could I not remember that? How did you not? <laughs> You hung me out the dry. I I think more damning the fact that it was a Manchester United team that was, 
you know, being managed by, I think, an interim coach at that so point. So was the manager when they the match. I believe he was still the interim at that point. Um, and obviously they should not be losing to that United team. But more importantly, they should not be going out in the round of 16. Okay? Because what that does is, you know, when you go out in the round of 16, even if it's to a club like Bayern or Manchester United, you are essentially, like, stating that you are you are not one of the best teams in Europe. Even if you win the league, you know, you are from nine, anywhere from 9 to 16. And that's just not where Paris Saint-Germain can be. Uh, it's it's embarrassing for them. So yeah, the following year they they go out and uh, and win a treble under Thomas Tuchel, but once again just unable to unable to get the job done. Of course, they lost to Bayern Munich in the Champions League final, and I think that it's so ironic that uh, with with all of that spending that they did, the player when they finally got to the biggest match in club football. The player who scored against them to win it was a player who they let go for free, who had come through their academy. Mm. In fact, pretty interesting um, stat for you is that uh, Paris Saint-Germain, you know, go, dating back to that Champions League final uh, between PSG and Bayern, they have, you know, they've played uh, Bayern quite a few times, and you know, it's made for some interesting matchups and and but actually uh the the majority of goals that have come against them i believe five out of seven goals that 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 byron have scored in that time um have been scored by players who left by Saint-Germain for free kingsley oh, incredible stuff and eric Ma- eric maxim uh chupa yeah. So yeah as you mentioned phil you know they came fairly close to getting the job done in Europe. You know, the following year, uh, they made it all the way to the semifinals, lost to Manchester City. And so at that point, you know, you, you're, you're thinking, if you're Paris Saint-Germain, okay, well, we need we need a big European result. We need to convince Kylian Mbappe to stay. We need to finally get over the hump. And that's where we see uh, perhaps the most blockbuster one of the most blockbuster spending sprees of all time with uh, Lionel Messi, Atraf Hakimi, Gianluigi Donnarumma, so many quality players. Ironically, a lot of them coming in on on free transfers, you know, once again failed. They had a they had a massive lead against Real Madrid. They blew it once again losing in the round 16. Okay? And then uh, this time around they lose in the round of 16 to Bayern. And I think that, yeah, for, for sure, I think that you compare their various round of 16 defeats, whether that's to Real Madrid in 2018, Manchester United the following year, or, or the past two years, I think that this one is by far the most embarrassing. You know, I think that um, the, the fact is Bayern were the much better team in the first leg. PSG d- really did not look that competent um, until Kylian Mbappe came on and and you know created quite a few opportunities. But yeah, uh, Bayern going into the second leg with a one nothing victory thanks to Coman's goal. And yeah, the second leg, I have to say, I was expecting uh, a much more uh, disciplined performance from PSG. I thought that Neymar's injury was going to allow them to to be more balanced. 
But uh, this was a horrific performance from them. They never looked anywhere close to to beating Bayern and uh, never looked anywhere close. And I'm just thinking, you know, do do these guys know that they have to attack the lead? That it's not – that they're not defending the lead. They've got to attack the lead. There's, um, some, there's something there, though, Zach. Because if you yeah. think about this, right? Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things I want to say on this. First of all, state ownership is not a guarantee of dominance, right? Yeah. As much as the city and PSG will tell you. But you said a couple of things that made me think about the fact that this that stat about how many players have let go for free that have scored against them. And you were mentioning about this master spending spree and the cream of the crop. And, then, um, and if I looked at a lot of the ways they've gone out of the Champions League, it's been very similar. Right? When they went out the United, they threw an unbelievable lead away that they never should have went out. Right? When they went out to Barcelona, they threw an unbelievable lead away and never should have went out. When they went out to Real Madrid, they threw a lead away and never should have went out. And which makes me question, when you buy players the massively inflated prices at massively inflated wages, how much do they really fight for the shirt? What is the incentive for being at your football club? Does it is it money? Is it where you know what? If you look at the Bayern Munich team that beat them, none of the players in that Bayern Munich team are beyond PSG financial reach, right. but they identify with the club completely different. They've got a smattering of, you know, quality players, not Galacticos. I mean, Sadio Mane is not a Galactico. He was, you know, Lewandowski goes. Um, They've got the, the Matthias Delict, of course, very, very good player. Um, but PSG, well within its reach. Um, you look at Joshua Kimmich, players like that, that are Bayern born and bred, that will fight to the death for your team. Eric Chupamutin, you know, they've got a mixture of players that will give you everything um, that aren't there for financial reasons, that are there because they identify with the sporting project or whatever. And... It's mean. It's also not a coincidence to me at Man City. I've never won it either, and I'm questioning: Is there an issue with players identifying with that are willing to to to? I don't want to say die for the club, but are willing to give absolutely everything. Where they go, you know what? When there's a draw here, I'm still getting four hundred grand a week, and no one's getting rid of me if you're killing Mbappe. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. You know. Uh... PSG, they've spent a tremendous amount of money. Obviously, a lot of their their signings have been on free transfers, but you have to factor in wages, uh, signing on fees. Well, yeah, you you mentioned a great point. Bayern, on the other hand, they have actually done, they they have kind of reined in uh, their spending somewhat. You know, I think that you look at last summer, they they didn't really sign a replacement for Robert Lewandowski. You know, they brought in Sadio Mane, who's kind of a false nine role. They brought in Matthias Tell, who's more mm-hmm. of a, a project, just 17 years of age. Um, so, you know, apart from splurging on Matthias Delic to to replace uh, Nicolas Sule, you know, they they have been um, they have been very much uh, operating, I think, shrewdly in a, at a financial level. You know, we're all, you know, and yet. You compare their their January business, um, Bayern bringing in Jan Sommer, a very good uh, goalkeeper despite his error against uh, against Paris Saint Germain. Um, you know, a, a player who's a proven Bundesliga goalkeeper. 
they needed him after Manuel Neuer's injury. So they brought him in. They brought in Joao Cancelo, who, uh, you know, despite the fact that he hasn't been a regular at Bayern, still a quality player, did did very well uh, for for Bayern's final goal to to find uh, Serge Gnabry up the pitch. So with with all the the contrasts in in finances, I think that you also have to point that out. Paris Saint Germain did not um, they did not sign a single player in January. And I have to tell you, you know, I, I am a big fan of Luis Campos. I think that he's done a very good job as a sporting director and, uh, of course, engineered the, the two teams in the past decade, the only two teams that have managed to beat Paris Saint-Germain to the title in Monaco and Lille. And um, so I was very positive when, uh, when, when Campos was appointed as sporting director. I thought it was going to be a nice marriage between him and Galtier, as we saw at Lille. And um, they, they brought in some, some midfielders like Renato Sanchez, Fabian Ruiz, and, and Vitinha, and Carlos Soler. But with that being said, I feel like they, they still are missing that physical, energetic uh, midfield enforcer in the center of the pitch. And I'll tell you what, I, I think that Paris Saint-Germain have not been the same since Thiago Mota and Blaise Matuidi left. I think that Marco Verratti, as good as he is, he was also so good because of his partnership with those two players. And you take them out, and and he's not the same. Um, and frankly, they haven't been able to replace those two. So I think that's been that's been still a massive concern. That has really been one of their Achilles' heels, Paris Saint Germain. And ironically, you know, the best midfielder uh, at PSG. Arguably the best midfielder in Ligue 1 as well, Marco Verratti, mm-hmm. who was probably Paris Saint-Germain's worst player on the pitch. You know, I don't, you can't scapegoat him, obviously, because uh, this was a Paris Saint-Germain team that did not show up. But I have to wonder, you know, Verratti. Everybody talks about Neymar, his 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 off the field issues. Verratti, with his you know his smoking and his constant injuries, <laughs> wonder if that's taken a toll on him because he just he completely looked like a ghost it gave the ball away for for both goals um just a few weeks ago psg were were playing leo and uh, he gave away possession for for one goal and uh and conceded a penalty for for the other so yeah very disappointed with them i'll tell you what though i felt that uh two of the only players who showed up for paris Saint-Germain in this tie apart from you know nuno mensch who i felt had a very good first leg, not so good the second leg, but two, the, two of the only players who really showed up were Sergio Ramos and Danilo Pereira. And really, you know, it's it's never a good sign when you have center backs or defensive midfielders as your best uh, as as your best players, because that means that you're typically trying to you know keep out attacks and. The, the players further forward are not doing their job. So, yes, it was an incredibly disappointing performance from Mbappe and Messi playing up top in the absence of Neymar. They also didn't have that much in the way of service. And it just looked, yeah, it looked completely disjointed. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that we can point to, Phil. I think that uh, I think that Campos certainly has to take some culpability because PSG needed a center back in January. And, of course, that's that's been made all the more apparent with uh, Presnel Kimpembe's season-ending injury. Mm-hmm. But uh, they tried to sign a center back. They, they couldn't. seems like Milan Skriniar will join them. 
in on a free transfer in the summer. Um, but but yeah, they they I think that the lack of a center back was was really damaging for them. And uh, they they brought a, they brought in Nordi Mukele in the 36th minute, who had joined in the summer uh, for Marquinhos. Mukele lasted until halftime before coming off for El Shadayo uh, Bichabu, and uh, and who is I believe 17 years of age from the academy. Um, so I think that that was certainly a big issue. I also would say that I think that failing to sign a replacement for Angel Di Maria. In the summer, they did. They brought in a lot of midfielders. They didn't really bring in that that winger who can change the games, and I think that really shows how underrated Di Maria is, as well as just a massive oversight. And they did a similar thing in January, you know, uh, allowing Pablo Sarabia, who was really their their only genuine winger who could come off the bench for Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar and make an impact. They let him join Wolves. They didn't sign anybody. They tried to sign Hakim Ziyech couldn't complete that deal in time but uh you know some some glaring errors from from Campos and from the sporting management and overall despite the amount of money that's been spent uh this is still a club with so many flaws and you know I just wanted to point out because you know we've talked a little bit about the contrast in spending between Bayern and Paris Saint-Germain but you look at the substitutes that Christophe Galtier and Julian Nagelsmann uh, brought on for the second leg. So, as I mentioned, uh, they brought on Nordi Mukiele as well as mm. the 17-year-old El Chedayel Pichabu. They brought on Juan Bernat, the backup left back. Left back. They brought on uh, Warren, Zaire, Emmer. I was going to get to him next because I want to ask you about him because this kid may be... He looks like they're starting to play young academy right. players, which is and not making the mistake they made in the past. And this right. is a kid who's already made his Champions League debut. They, who brought seems in, like... they brought in Zaire Emery, who just turned 17 yeah. this, this past week. They brought in uh, Hugo Ekitike, a center forward, who really hasn't been able to, to make the grade thus far. Bayern, on the other hand, uh, brought on Joao Cancelo, Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané, and Sadio Mane. So just yeah. acres of space between the two. I forgot to mention as well, they brought in uh, Daly Blind in January. He was an unused substitute for this game. But I think that depth, you know, I think that's something that Paris Saint-Germain certainly lack. And that's something that perhaps when you focus so much on signing superstars, perhaps you just lose count, lose focus on the fact that you need players who are going to come off against tired legs, who are going to make an impact, who are going to create some internal competition. But... Um, there's but also yeah, a consequence, Zaki, of giving yeah. Kylian Mbappe, you know, an, an exorbitant amount of money and they're not being yeah. able to, to spend it elsewhere on the squad. So right. um, this maybe uh, actually see some of these young academy players getting a chance. Um, I want to ask you quickly before we go just, about... Just sorry, 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 go ahead, mate. Yeah. I think I, one thing that I wanted to say with regards to Paris Saint-Germain, I think that one of the biggest issues with... One of the most damning things about PSG, it's not just not necessarily the fact that they have been unable to win a Champions League so far. It's the fact that they've allowed so many players to leave uh, fr- from their academy, whether that's Musa Diaby, Kingsley yeah. Coman. I think that they are trying to do a better job of that with players like Bichiabu and Zaire Emery. But yeah. uh, I also think that another glaring issue is their failure to utilize Ligue 1. 
and and monopolize their talent. That's something that Bayern have done a very good job of, mm-hmm. right? Bringing in quality players from Bundesliga, weakening their rivals. You look at Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, they have actually only signed um, three players from Ligue 1 clubs over the past six years. Kylian Mbappé from Monaco, as well as this past summer, Renato Sanchez and mm-hmm. uh, Hugo Ekitike. And, you know, I think that Ligue 1, it gets a lot of unwarranted criticism. But I think that one thing that you have to give Ligue 1 a lot of credit for is it is a talent factory. Oh, and, you know, you look at the players who are coming from Ligue 1 to other, to other leagues, they are doing a fantastic job. And the fact is, uh, Paris Saint-Germain have been unable to capitalize on that, whether that's bringing in players such as Seco Fofana on Lens, or bringing in, you know, quality players uh, from, from throughout these leagues that could instantly improve them. I think that Paris Saint-Germain, perhaps there's, you know, the, the upper management is saying, we can't be looking at players from Lens, Lorient, uh, Nantes. You know, we need to sign the cream of the crop. They're, we're Like, we're too good for them. You'd imagine yeah, that's what Luis Campos is going to do, though. You know, because yeah. that, obviously, you know, he yeah. came from uh, another Ligue 1 club, so you'd imagine that's what Luis Campos will do. You would imagine, but so far we have only seen Renato Sanchez, who of course worked with uh, worked with Galtier and Campos mm. at Lille, uh, as well as Hugo Ekitike, who hasn't really really been able to make an impact. But I think that that's something that I would love Paris Saint Germain to do more of. You know, mm. I think that it's clear that Campos wants to have more of a focus on French and Portuguese players. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that with with Renato and Vitinha coming in. Um, and I think that's great. I think that Paris Saint-Germain, yeah, they just need to move away from this superstar model because it just, you know, causes so much drama and so much, uh, such uh, disjointed team yeah. performances. And so, yeah, I think that has to be a priority from Paris Saint-Germain. They have to start utilizing the talent factory that is Ligue 1. They have to start giving genuine chances to these young players and yeah, I think that uh, for the time being, they're just going to have to build their team around Kylian Mbappe. I think that the priority, if, if I was in charge of Paris Saint-Germain, I'm allowing Messi to leave on a free transfer and I'm doing everything I can to sell Neymar this summer. Loki, finally, mate, let me ask you about uh, Mr. Antonio Conte. Um, I want to avoid national stereotypes, um, but Antonio Conte had the look of a man from a, a mob movie <laughs> when he was talking about uh, he, was, he delivered his repost in an extremely cold calculated manner that um, I must say I quite enjoyed uh, Richardson coming out after the game yesterday of course uh, after the game against Milan being quite critical of the fact that he isn't being played um, and Conte of course I thought dealt with that question and that criticism fantastically well by pointing out the fact that he's only scored two goals all season in the Champions League. He's been injured for most of the season. I thought one of the things that was quite funny was he made sure he mentioned he didn't win the World Cup. Um, And uh, Antonio Conte doesn't have the look of a man that's going to be at Tottenham next season, nonetheless. Um, But uh, very cold and uh, very... It it almost took a scalpel to Richardson. Um, what did you make of that? Well, um, yeah, I, I know um, 
as somebody who's fluent in Portuguese, I, I watched the Richarlison interview in full and I was pretty taken aback because it's very rare that you hear someone speaking in such clear defining mm. terms as well as targeting their manager um you know just really stating that this season has been shit and, <laughs> and, and going to like specific instances of uh where where richarlison you know started or, or did well for one game and then the next game he wasn't even in the the match day squad right or or he wasn't a a he was an unused substitute um, and it's like these are things that you'd normally hear uh, a coach, uh, a player coming to the coach directly, you know, in, in a closed off meeting and saying, well, you know, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. So, and yet here is Richarlison going to Brazilian television, just stating, you know, what this is, this is my coach. He goes from you know playing me to not playing me. Doesn't tell me why. Um, and and yeah, I think that. It, it was the look of someone who was incredibly frustrated. And I would be too if I was a Charlison. I think that obviously he has been a flop so far. Um, but w- what I will say is that I think that there was never really a, a plan lined up to incorporate Richarlison to get the most out of him. For me, it always seemed like Spurs were just trying to sign one of the best players in in outside of the top six, they were trying to kind of take advantage of Everton's uh, financial struggles, bringing in a quality player. But then what happens next? You know, I, I always was skeptical of how they were going to incorporate him into a Conte team. Um, and I think that, yeah, Richarlison, he's got to be feeling some form of regret. You know, he's gone from, from scoring incredible goals in the World Cup to, yeah, still we are in... We are uh, in in March. Just a few more games left in March before the international break. Richarlison still has not scored a Premier League goal, um, so that's just got to be something very tough to deal with as a player. Very tough to deal with. In terms to be of fair to Richarlison, and, and yeah. Sonny, uh, you know, Son Young Men didn't have the best run of form under under right. Conte either, and he's clearly an exceptional player. Sometimes players just don't fit a particular system. They're not bad players, but they just don't fit the way a certain manager plays. And I, I do think that's the case for Charleston because if you saw him at the World Cup when he was used properly mm. in TT squad, he was right. fantastic. Um, but I just don't think he's suited to Spurs. And uh, I think they have, if they don't finish top four, I think they could lose Harry Kane this summer. Um, anything else before we go, buddy? No, nothing else. We will be back on Monday. We will be live on Monday. So get involved. Join us. Get your comments in. Uh, we'll probably have a guest on Monday. We're working on that. We'll take a look at the results over the weekend. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about on Monday was a young player you profiled on your website, which I'm very, very interested in, which is a young Victor Roche, at, uh, a young Brazilian, 17-year-old. So I want you to tell our audience what you think of him. He's a football manager legend already so i'm looking forward to catching up with you monday mate and we'll take a look at some of the news and headlines over the weekend and uh we'll be back on monday probably around 10 a.m pacific time so that's going to be about 6 p.m uk time um and uh about 1 p.m your time zaki so look forward to having you then have a great weekend my friend thank you see ya